Hey everyone, just really quick before we get started with this episode, I just want to let you know that there was an issue with Jesse's mic in the beginning, so for the first like 15 minutes of the episode, it's really kind of crackly. I did my best to make it as unobtrusive as possible, but it's very clearly something is wrong. Um, after we realized what was happening, she switched to her computer mic. So we went from one sort of not ideal audio to a different sort of not ideal audio, but at least it's not crackly. So yeah, I just wanted to let you know what was going on with that, why it sounds like that. We fixed it. Future episodes will not sound like that. And, um, I hope that it doesn't detract too much from the conversation because this is maybe the best episode we have ever recorded and i am so excited for all of you to listen to it okay let's get into it hello and welcome to the gaily prophet a humorous yet ruthless podcast where two queer irl witches do whatever the fuck we want i am lark malachi gray and i'm jesse blount and today we are talking about the movie black panther which came out in 2018. Woohoo! Yay! Yeah, and Jesse and I are trading jobs for the time being. So I'm going to be doing the descriptions, and Jesse's going to be delivering the headlines. And I'm very excited about this because I can't wait to hear your headlines. Um, yeah, so Black Panther 2018, in which we lay our scene. Wakanda is an African nation that has created technology far surpassing anywhere else on Earth thanks to the abundance of vibranium, a magical metal that can be used for anything you can imagine, including infusing plants with superhero juice, which is how the royal family (laughs) came to possess the power of the Black Panther. Wakanda is cloaked and passes themselves off to the rest of the world as a, quote, third world country because they absolutely do not want to deal with what they know would happen if, say, America found out about their resources. (laughs) The movie follows new king T'Challa, his ex-girlfriend slash crush Nakia, his brainiac kid sister Shuri, and his head of security Okoye, as they attempt to protect and eventually reclaim the throne from Eric Stevens, aka Killmonger, the child of T'Challa's uncle who was orphaned when T'Challa's dad murdered him because he wanted to share Wakanda's resources to help black folks the world over overthrow their oppressors. Eric holds the same beliefs his dad did, and also he's got like 25 years of intense trauma fueling him. (laughs) He sure does. (laughs) (laughs) Eric dies in the end after a big old battle between people who very reasonably think he's absolutely correct and people who very reasonably think he absolutely shouldn't be the king. But his points have been made and T'Challa is a new king for a new age. So he buys the building in Oakland where his dad did a murder and turns it into the first Wakandan outreach center. And in the end credits, we see him revealing the truth about Wakanda to the UN. The end. Breaking news, abandoned Wakandan prince seeks revenge to the throne, and General Africa Diaspora responds with, well, fuck around and find out. (laughs) Yes. All right, we are going to turn to the front page where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else. I just want to start with, like, this movie starts really beautifully with, well in the, the present day part of the movie starts really beautifully with when T'Challa and Okoye are like extracting Nakia so that she can come to his coronation. And he's like, Oh no, I got this. I can do this alone. And just the like, Hmm. 
that's delivered it's like just sets the tone for like all the way that the relationships in this movie look and i it's just so perfect yeah yeah like her facial expression and it is it's very funny because you're like oh t'challa this like very capable actual superhero and you're like what what is even going on and then he gets down there and just like the intense awkwardness of seeing nakia again for however long it's been like there's there's just like sheer awkwardness is like oh okay (laughs) you're kind of a dweeb (laughs) and it's very adorable (laughs) yeah and like everyone is like he's gonna freeze and he does freeze because he's just like a big dork and it's so cute and i mean again if i saw lupita nyonga in real life i would probably also freeze because she is possibly one of the most beautiful people ever yeah Yeah. Yeah. i just i'm like i think if i saw her in real life i might cry i don't know No, that's totally reasonable. Um, speaking of crying, it, I think it took, I think it, I saw this movie three times in theaters, by the way. Um, because of course I did. I think it took me the third time watching this in theaters to realize that the, like, we get this opening scene that's like, learn the origins of Wakanda and its power and its people. And it's baby Eric asking his dad for a story. And I'm just like, oh my God. Cry emoji forever. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm just making a sad face, listeners, that you can't see. Um, so I'm going to have, like, a whole thing to say in editorials about, like, how much I love Sherry generally. But I particularly really love the relationship that she has with T'Challa, who's, like, twice her age. So, like, I think it's always really interesting when you have, like, sibling dynamics that are you know it's like so different to be like 15 years older than your sibling than it is to be like say three years older than your sibling like i am and their relationship is like really really beautiful and the the movie does a really good job of making them just like feel like equals in a way that i think is really fucking rad and again it's this movie is so good at like just setting things up so strongly, like right off the bat, because like, obviously we meet her, she's in her lab. You're like, okay, like you, you're 16. You just invent the raddest shit ever. Yeah. Um, But like the part where she's showing him the new suits that she's designed and she's like, kick it. And he does. And then she's like, cool. And then she says, the nanites absorb the kinetic energy and hold it in place for redistribution hit it again in the same spot and then like a dope he just does he's like oh you're filming this that's weird and she literally just told him what was going to happen and then it throws him across the lab and she's you know going to put it on i don't know wakanda facebook and it's fucking great yeah like the yeah the chemistry between those two actors where it's like you guys are not related but like you 110 percent buy the fact that shuri is like the like sarcastic bratty little sister but like they love each other so much that like yeah. t'challa 
is mostly okay with the fact that she just dunks on him constantly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Um, I have to go back to the uh, teaser opening scene where the line about when we first see the door Milaje and what's his face is like, oh, there's some Grace Jones looking chicks at the door. That line kills me every time. It's like, so good. It is just <laughs> like, I think I probably screamed the first time I heard it in theaters. And I just, every time I'm just like, yes. <laughs> you should probably explain to our younger listeners why it's so great. Oh my God. Uh, Listeners, especially my queer listeners out there, please just Google Grace Jones. Like, her music and aesthetic was way ahead of her time. She did a lot of stuff in the 70s and 80s, and maybe still does. I actually don't know. Um, But she is, like, one of the grand ancestors. She's still alive. She's still one of the grand ancestors of, like, weird queer Black people everywhere, just because she was just doing all kinds of weird shit and like looks incredible so and famously shaves her head so yeah if nothing else if you look up nothing else through this podcast go look up grace jones play some of her music look up some of the album art and the photos that she did back when she was just doing the fuck that she wanted to it's beautiful yeah yeah actually i'm like realizing now that like Basically, my front page is just, like, first character introduction appreciation club. Um, <laughs> I have so much of that, too! <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, Eric, I'm I'm choosing to call him Eric as opposed to Killmonger. Um, Actually, same in my notes. Cool. So. Um, so we meet him when he's, like, doing a heist, a, a museum heist kind of a heist it's a heist i mean i feel like heist implies that you're like people aren't supposed to know you're doing it as opposed to like you just kill everyone who knows you're doing it anyway he's doing a robbery a museum thieving and he's like so (laughs) suave i don't know the like folks who haven't watched it which like i really encourage everyone to watch this movie but if you haven't what he's like go ahead Oh, I would say with the caveat that, like, if you don't care about Marvel movies, like, this is still the movie to watch out of all of them. Yeah. You don't have to know anything about anything else about the Marvel universe to enjoy just how rich this movie is. So go do it if you haven't. Correct. Yeah. So he starts off, like, asking the museum curator, you know, about different things and their, like, you know, Africa display. And... Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, yeah, you've actually, like, misattributed this one. It's Wakandan, but don't worry about that. I'm going to take it off your hands. And just, like, so, just the, like, transition to, like, you are being robbed is so smooth. And he's so fucking charming, which, like, obviously, he has the face of a god. So, like... (laughs) And his, like, with the gold glass and his, like, little, like, his little little man bun. It's like... Or we could just call it a bun, maybe. That's fair. (laughs) (laughs) His little bun. I'm just like, I just want to eat you whole. That's all. For real. Yeah. But yeah, just like, yeah, he's so fucking suave. And like immediately you're like, 
you're a bad guy, but also, can I help you rob the museum? Just like the cop, just like the level of confidence that he has in that scene is just like so wound worthy. Right. If I was the museum curator, I would have just been like, okay, let me get my keys. <laughs> I, I don't own this shit. Can't have it, man. <laughs> you, you absolutely. Whoops, I got it wrong. That absolutely means you deserve it. It's yours now. Goodbye. <laughs> Do you need some early Mesopotamian art while you're at it? We have like some really cool shit from like the Vikings. Like, I just work here, my dude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'm so glad that you brought this up because my next point is that I would legit watch a whole movie that is just stealing back art and artifacts from like Africa and other native peoples from museums in Europe and America and then just like distributing them back. I'd watch a series of movies. Where is that? Yeah, for real. And then put Michael B. Jordan in one because clearly this works. <laughs> yes. Did I tell you? I feel like I told you about this like a million years ago. I swear one of the stories on LeVar Burton reads it is that premise. Mm, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Is this like teen cat burglar or whatever who's like going into like private homes where they're holding, you know, cultural artifacts hostage and taking them back it was really good i it was years ago so i will not be able to find it but i definitely think it's worth digging for i'm sure i could search for it yeah if i ever was to write a art heist i got like a heist story this is what my story would be about because i'm just like art heists are cool number one and two museums are full of stolen things from people of color so no guilt about stealing them 100 percent not that I have guilt about heist movies anyway. Whatever. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's your turn. I love everything about war rhinos. Oh my god. I love them. We'll have to I'll take out I have to take out a photo. I went uh at my last in-person job. We had like a Black Panther themed Halloween party and showed Black Panther, and I went as a war rhino. <laughs> oh my god. That's incredible. <laughs> so I have to I have to see if I can dig up some of the photos. Cause Definitely. I love I love like I love horses, obviously, animal person, any kind of magical mount you would have in a sci-fi or fantasy I'm here for, but like war rhinos. Just chef's kiss. Yeah. And I love that they like obviously they're like similar in function and stuff to like a war horse, but like the fact that they like the one stops mid battle to like give its second favorite person a kiss makes it feel more like a dog. <laughs> and I really like that. Right. It's like, oh, mom's here. I'm not going to run her over, dude. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's great. Um, okay. So, my next introduction appreciation. So, the actually bad, bad guy is this dude, Claw, mm-hmm. who is like, such a fun villain he's fucking bonkers he's so evil but he's also like demented he's in a way that is life constantly yeah yeah <laughs> he's just like i'm getting shot at this is great whatever but the fact that like we we meet him and he's like doing a a trade with our cia dude our token white boy and he's like trading this um vibranium for some diamonds right And CIA dude tries to, like, make a joke about the fact that he, like, Claw brought, like, a lot of 
hired hands, you know, with him. And he's like, well, that's quite an entourage. Do you have an album coming out? And he's just like trying to be like awkwardly make the point that he's noticed and whatever. And Claw's like, oh, yeah. Like, and I think he's not joking. He means it. He's like, yeah, do you want the SoundCloud? Like, hey, like, goon number two, give him the SoundCloud. Like, you can scan like... the QR code that, like, goon number three has. Like, you can have access to my entire um, EDM electronic album that I did when I was, like, I was in the run for you guys. <laughs> yeah, like, for real. And it's, it's great. And then the fact that when he's in Locked Up, he's, like, singing and is like really good at it and you're like oh my god you literally do have a band with your fucking goonies like that's so funny yeah uh yeah and the cia and the wakandans still couldn't find him even with his sound club <laughs> <laughs> like that's bold <laughs> you are really secure as a criminal when you're like i'm an international criminal but i really but come check out my new album <laughs> Yep, that's very true. Uh, so I'm glad that we're in this casino scene because my um, next two points are in there. Number one is we get our, in every Marvel movie until Stanley died, he had a, a, a brief cameo in it. Uh, his cameo <laughs> in Black Panther is when T'Challa like wins at the craps table and he walks away and Everett's like, wait, but you're and then Stanley sidles over like I'll just like hold on to these for oh, that like old cowboy dude <laughs> yes, it's, it's Stanley and it's just it's so perfect that is really perfect they like giving him like the really like like weird one-off character dude and it's I don't know it's just so perfect because there's only two white people in this movie and they're like how do we fit Stanley in and it's like great right there yeah <laughs> oh that's beautiful uh so anyone who hasn't listened to the gay pirate podcast slash watch our flag means death they're not going to get this and that's sad for them but it's too good to not do because at three separate times in this movie someone says i'm your king now (laughs) because of our flag means death in my head every single time it is followed by bitch (laughs) (laughs) yeah every time it's so fun i've watched this movie twice in the last two days so that makes six times that that has happened. <laughs> i fucking love it oh uh, yeah uh, oh man i can't believe this didn't what i immediately thought think of when i was watching this movie but now i definitely will <laughs> you sure will forever um <clears throat> okoye Throwing her wig that she hates at that dude's face as a distraction during her fight scene is just hands down so perfect. Like yeah, ten out of ten. Ten out of ten. Um, I mean, obviously she is incredible. Um, and for those that I guess you included, uh, this is not her first rodeo as an action hero. She's actually arguably the best slash coolest character in the walking dead her character has a katana and just she just kills zombies with a with a fucking katana and it's just like so she's like the most badass character in that show slash comics and so to see her here being like still an action star i'm like yes be in so many action movies just 
I mean, safely, because it's really hard on your body if not. But I just love seeing her kick ass. And she is with that sphere. And I mean, that is her. Like, that that is not a stunt double. She is really swinging the crap out of that sphere that is not made of metal, obviously. But yeah, that's incredible. I didn't know that she was doing all her own stunts. Yeah, actually, a lot of the Dora do. They got a lot of like ballet dancers and like stunt women and like, yeah. I don't know why it had never occurred to me before that being a ballet dancer would lend itself so well to being in a fucking action movie, but that makes so much sense. I mean, especially one like this where it's like so many of the fight scenes look like dancing. And especially because there's like Mm -hmm. drum beats in the background. It's like, this is, this is like a choreographed dance number, you know? Yeah. Um, all right, this is my last thing. So Mbaku, who I, I, I love, I love so much, um, when they like go to his kingdom to like, be like, this dude just came and like stole the throne, whatever. And he like, won't let the token white dude talk. he's like one more word and i'll feed you to my children and then just starts laughing and going just kidding we're vegetarians (laughs) and then just like laughs at his own joke for like a full minute (sighs) yeah he's like i feel like he has i don't know funny uncle at the barbecue kind of sense of humor or it's like yeah, it's like, oh, you're like, just think you're like really buff. You just think like really physical all the time, but like you're actually just like, just kidding, lol. And like a really hard yeah. slap on the back. And it's like, I don't really mean it. And it's like, oh. Yeah. Um, okay, this is great because um, my last point is that obviously everyone in Wakanda dunking on our one token white dude is funny, but like nothing tops all of the Jabari just barking him into silence when he starts talking. <laughs> um, like, big laugh in the theater because, like, just the perfect response to it. It's like, you are not a part of this conversation, white dude. And it's just like, oh, it's so perfect. <laughs> it is. It's so, it's so good. Oh, gosh. What a good movie. I know. Welcome to the style and fashion section where we talk about aesthetics. Um, So Shuri is like peak cool teen icon. Everything that she wears that's not like a ceremonial outfit, which like those are great, but she hates them. So I'm not going to like attribute that to her personal style. She makes it very clear that it is not. Right. <laughs> Everything that she wears that's like her aesthetic, you're like, you're so fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. No, they really got the like streetwear coolness factor with her like down pat. That, like, all-silver outfit that she's wearing at the very beginning with, like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's, like, a short-sleeved yet, like, long coat, super tailored thing with this, like, really cool, like, graphic t-shirt underneath that's, like, the same, like, pewter color. I don't Fuck. It's just great. Everything she wears is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, um, 
costume designer won an Oscar for this, which is understandable because of just, I mean, I don't even know how much work like uh, Ruth Carter. I mean, she she put a lot of work in um, to this. Apparently her and the team did like a lot of research into like a shit ton of African countries like culture like traditional dress and so the the sort of general vibe is very pan-african and the whole look is very like afrofuturism aka just i mean basically afrofuturism is like when you imagine if you're like pulling from specifically black culture and black history to envision a like future sci-fi aesthetic you know and not sort of the say race blindness of something like star trek or something you know so yeah anyway so obviously this is a lot you know this is an excellent example in this here movie and i will not talk about every single look because you could this that could be a whole podcast to be perfectly honest and uh there's gonna be a link in our show notes for where uh ruth carter the costume designer breaks down sort of all of the inspiration of like the various tribes within Wakanda, like that aesthetic and um, kind of like what's going on with um, Queen Ramonda and Shuri and like the very opening scene where uh, T'Challa and Nakia come back to Wakanda. Um, I will do some highlights for you, Lark, though. So, um, so in that opening scene when T'Challa comes back to Wakanda and we meet Queen Ramonda and she's wearing that beautiful like hat crown and that like what the costume what ruth carter calls her like mantle mm-hmm. it's all 3d printed and like inspired by so the mantle's inspired by um a like traditional uh african lace from i don't remember which country and uh the hat is inspired by hats that um married women in either south or west africa wear mm-hmm. um and so but in order to be like but you're still in wakanda it's like it's 3d printed and it's like some kind of material that's so easy to take take on and off which is like yeah so fucking cool that is so cool i know and like it's sort of like this movie kind of creates its own like sci-fi aesthetic just within it itself and i think sort of more a little bit more obviously is that our a lot of our main characters have their own color motif like nakia's from the river tribe so she's like nearly always wearing some shade of green mm-hmm. you know okoye and all the dora milaje are always wearing like red obviously and our villains claw and killmonger are almost always wearing blue and like eric is in blue until like basically he's in his golden black black panther suit so yeah. that's sort of his color scheme yeah it's great. This movie is just a fe- it's a feast for the eyes, everyone. Like I can't describe to you in a podcast just the level of like detail and intricacy in like the costume design and the set designs here. Yeah. It's yeah, this movie is gorgeous. I guess should we do a like aesthetics roundup slideshow on the website when we post this? Um, we won't have to because a l- Oh right, you're putting that video. I'm putting yeah, that video perfect. up. Um, and actually I'm going to put up, there's two videos cause there's another video by Vanity Fair. There are notes on the scene where they have Ryan Coogler talking about uh, a bit of a breakdown of the 
fight scene with in the Korean casino. And he mm-hmm. talks a little bit about the kind of um, also uh, the color scheme, T'Challa and Okoye and Nakia's color scheme and like how it sort of plays out in that scene with their like undercover formal dress. So we can throw those two videos cool. in and like they will go in more detail and we'll show some of the stuff that we were talking about. So perfect. I've been talking for a while, so you should throw in some aesthetic things you wanted to talk about. <laughs> yeah, no, we. I mean, I think we don't need to go too in depth into a whole lot of stuff. I do just want to say, and this is really an acting note more than a style note, but the actor who plays Okoye in that scene in the casino, like the convincingness with which she delivers this, like the sense that she has like literally never worn a dress before <laughs> in her life is so good like she, yeah she just moves like what the fuck is this terrible material that i am wearing right now and it's it's just perfect it's so it's so good it is really cool and i mean she definitely hates it but the scenes of her like leaping and like Ugh. jumping around and especially there's a scene where she's on top of Nikia's car like she's jammed her spear through the roof of the car so she can hold on and this like her dress is just streaming behind her is just like it's like put it in a museum like just take that screenshot put it in a museum it is beautiful it is it's incredible <sighs> all right is there anything else specific you want i want more thing uh it is my own personal obsession with one thing from the costume design, which is the Border Tribe blankets. Um, they are from the... I had to, to spell this. I had to do this phonetically, so please forgive me if I mispronounce this. The Lusoto um, is a country in South Africa, and like that is sort of a traditional blanket, is the, the blue with the patterns. Not the... <sighs> Not the vibranium part, obviously. Um, yeah. But you can buy them online. Um, and I have been, I I don't know. I think when this movie came out, I spent a lot of time online searching to be like, where can I find one of those blankets <laughs> from the country that they're made in? And it was much harder. But today I did some research and there's like a company that seems to be like the factory that makes them all. And it's like unionized and they seem to like treat their employees really well and like are have a whole, like, we give that to the community and, like, are also trying to be, like, more environmentally friendly. So the link to that will be in the show notes if you, too, want to buy one of these awesome blankets. Cool. Because I probably will. (laughs) That's really cool, though. Yeah, so this actually was the first note that I, like, remembered to take, and it's literally the end of the movie. It's just Nakia's one earring. (laughs) (laughs) One dangly It's so good. It's so fuck. Oh god. Like her costume designing is great. Like the, like her green dress in the casino scene that looks like she like walked out of the Matrix is <laughs> just like yeah. But also, I think she could. I don't know. Be wrapped in a like IKEA bedsheet, and you'd still be just like wow. Flawless. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> Welcome to the politics section, where we talk about politics. Honestly, it's not even necessarily specifically things that are fucked up. The politics tend to be fucked up. Yeah. Where should we where should we start? 
Mm, you choose. Okay, let's start. Let's start with Wakanda and their maybe potential responsibility to the rest of the African diaspora, <laughs> which is sort of a driving force in in this movie, like a burning question for like many of our characters, because I mean, Wakanda is literally like that, you know, that meme where it's like a, a futuristic space city. It's like society. If X had happened, yes, <laughs> like, Waka- yes. like Wakanda is like society. If European colonization, genocide and the slave trade didn't happen. It's like this beautiful futuristic, you know, African country where everyone is just, beautiful public transit and a thriving city and just science beyond your like wildest dreams. And I'm like, that seems about right. Honestly, (laughs) if you're a student of history, you'd be like, Oh yeah. Hmm." So we have these two sides of like, we have Wakandans who leave Wakanda and are out in the world. And they're like, Hmm. Wow. I have a lot of an appropriate response to all of the pain and suffering I see outside of Wakanda for (laughs) our African brethren. (laughs) Maybe we should do something about that. (laughs) Which is, I think, the correct response, you know, where it's just like, oh, wow, all this object human suffering for what? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't say neutral about that, y'all. But we have... I mean, I don't know. And then everyone who, like, hasn't left Wakanda is sort of, like, very much on varying shades of, like, we should just sort of stay out of this. Because, like, we don't want to become all of our, like, all of our surrounding neighboring African countries that have been ravaged and stripped of its natural resources by, like, greedy Europeans, you know? Right. And it's like, oh, yep. the ethics of that. Not not a good look, y'all. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's done so well because we have like the i guess yeah prince i'm like what is the brother of the king i guess a prince right yeah um the former prince eric's dad who's like no we should like take take go basically he's like yeah no actually like wakanda should be in charge of the whole world and that's basically where eric is at also and then we have like Nakia, who's like, we should at least be taking in refugees. And then we have Wakabi, who's like, absolutely no to refugees, but like, yes, we should be out, like sending people out to make things better. Yeah. And like, we see all these different ideas of like ways that it could look. And, you know, T'Challa is just like, I don't know, I was like, really brought up to be like, nope, we just have to stay safe at home but is just being like presented on all sides with like but you've been out there like are you are you sure and i don't know i just think the movie does like an incredible job with portraying that conversation with so much like nuance to all the different pieces and facets that need to be taken into account yeah and it's and it makes it and it really makes everyone's motivations like so understandable, right? Like Eric's dad and Eric are growing up in like '90s Oakland, so it's like crack epidemic, police brutality, like disinvestment, just the usual Black American experience. And he's like, "Oh no, this is fucked up. We should really be arming the revolutionaries because, like, what the actual fuck?" And I'm like, "That 
makes sense as a black yep. person in America. I'm like, I understand that impulse. And it's and it's sort of like, and then you have that with Eric on top of childhood trauma, you know, and like presumably generational trauma too. So he's just like And like was in the US military secret ops trauma. Like this dude has been yeah. like wall-to-wall trauma starting from like minimum age five. Right. You know, yeah, because assuming that's when he how old he was when his dad died yeah i mean he could have been older than eight is really what i think you know yeah right. and so right and and ross is like oh yeah this guy was like in a military whatever since he was like 19 i'm like yeah it's gonna fuck you up you know yeah. but then you also see where i mean with oh my god what is daniel clarico's name in this movie of the border tribe what is his name wakabe wakabe and he's just like I mean, right, like, his parents were murdered by Claw because he wanted some barbarian. He's like, I don't think we should be putting ourselves out there. But also, if he wanted to go out there and, like, you know, murder some folks, I would, I feel good about that. And you're kind of like, mm-hmm. I mean, okay, so you have trauma, but also, like, if you're sort of the face of Wakanda as a third world country, you've also seen some shit. Like, people are still crossing through your borders or, like, seeking aid, even though it's like, we're just pretending that it's just cows and rhinos and, like, People without electricity, whatever fantasy that the West has about Africa, which is like, again, right. not not the truth. Right. Uh, and then like Nakia is, I think, really, I think really sort of has the best idea where she's like, I've been out here doing the hard work, seeing like the worst of humanity. Like her beginning mission that that T'Challa pulls for him is clearly some kind of like, you know, human trafficking bullshit you know yeah and so she's like she's seeing the worst of the worst but she's still just like we can protect people and still protect wakanda too you know like i don't think it's a good idea to just start fucking murdering people and i'm like you have the out of out of everyone i think the most reason to be like no let's just fucking start murdering everyone but she's even just like no that's not the good that's not the way to go yeah so i don't know and i feel like her empathy about this is just like for me, what is missing a little bit from kind of like Eric and Jabari's like sort of reaction. It's like they're they're they have a lot of rage, which is understandable, but like yeah. not a lot of empathy, which is like not great. I mean, I think that rage is stemming from empathy, arguably. I mean, I didn't say like no empathy. So I think like there is some empathy, obviously, you know, but I mean, I think it makes sense. Is Jabari the name of T'Challa's uncle? Is that Jabari? I really should have looked this up. Actually, what am I doing? I can just look at the Wikipedia. Njabu is uh, Eric's dad. Okay. So, like, it makes sense to me that Njabu, as a royal, like, his instinct... You know, his family, presumably, has, like, been ruling Wakanda since they started having a monarchy. That, like, his instinct is going to be, like, we have the resources to, like, fix what's broken. So, obviously, the way that we fix that is by, like, being in charge of everything. And, yep, you know, sounds like... The like logic, like it's not bad logic to be like we rule 
in a way that is like extremely equitable. And like, if we were to rule, say the whole world, we would continue to do that equitably. And like, we would just make everything better. Cause like, like how else is he going to think about that? Like literally he's been raised his entire life to be like, you're in charge of everything. <laughs> like yeah. you're the, the prince and potential King, if your brother dies bef- like before you, you know? And like, I don't know. I feel like ev- everyone who like wants this is like kind of right you know yeah (laughs) like no i i mean they just need to pool their ideas and find like you know the center of what all of them over the overlap of all of those venn diagrams are and like that's your answer yeah no and i i definitely agree with that for sure because it's like it's hard to look at the ills of the world especially around like the African diaspora and be like, man, you know what would really help that? An armed revolution. (laughs) And, and maybe this is a good segue into talking about Eric. Is that like, because you're successful at an armed revolution doesn't necessarily mean you'd be successful as like a leader. Right. You know, which we kind of, we see with him when he defeats T'Challa and becomes king. And it's like, He's just like, all right, I'm ready to ship out some guns to like across the globe. And I'm like, okay, great. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that like, I mean, definitely the U.S. government. I mean, that could be under Wakanda's rule. Like, please, please God. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I'm like, that's not all there is to being in charge, my dude. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like some, at least like a couple, like strategy sessions first you know yeah yeah and i mean and i just think that like and this is an issue that like not a lot of people really think about which is if you have if you have white people in power in a terrible power structure and then you just replace them with black people but not the actual structure itself then it's like i mean just it it doesn't necessarily mean things are gonna be better you know? Right. And I think that like part of like one of the things that this movie does that makes it this conversation like so nuanced and successful is that like the first thing that we see after we come to the present day is them extracting Nakia from where she's been embedded and like that's in Africa. And it's like we go from like things are really bad in Oakland to like and this is what the effects of colonization are in Africa. Like this is like, it's fucked it up everywhere. Like white people fucked it up everywhere. And so like, right. When, when we go in and like overthrow, we America go in and like overthrow, you know, communist leaders, it leaves this like power vacuum, which then leads to terrible, terrible things. Almost always just terrible, terrible things. And like that, kind of like yes exactly what you said like when there's when there's a power vacuum people who want power regardless of who those people are are going to step in and like that's often not not a good thing <laughs> so yeah yeah and i mean it it would be one thing if like eric became king and is like all right you know what we're going to do is we're going to stop all the war you know all these wars and we're going to you know destroyed i mean i guess really the u.s 
prison system is sort of its own unique crime against humanity. But like, if it was like, here's my five point plan about like strategic things. And I'm like, you know, what really sucks for black people is these eight things. And I'm going to fucking take them out. It'd be like, you know, your, your methods, maybe not so great, but all right. Okay. But him just being like, no, we're just going to murder straight up murder, like white people in power. I'm like, I get that instinct, but I'm kind of like, that's, you know, I feel like transformative justice would have, would have really worked in here. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's actually like one of the things that, so I have, I have only one complaint with this movie and I like, it is something that since I saw this movie the first time has just, every time I think about it, I get upset, which is like, I hate with my entire being that Eric dies. Like, I hate it. And like, he dies because he's like, I'm not going to like, let you heal me so that you can lock me up, basically. And like, the idea that there are prisons in Wakanda, like, destroys my soul. Like, I want that conversation to be T'Challa being like, there are no prisons in Wakanda. Like, lock you up where? What are you talking about? Like, we'll heal your body and also your mind. Like, yeah, you would just, you would be in, you'd be tending goats next to fucking one-armed Bucky over there who's also committed war crimes. Like, what? we would just give you, like, the coolest antidepressants and, like, you know, and, like, the best, like, EMDR and you would be okay. Like, what? Yeah. And I think, I think this, I think your complaint is part of the sort of bigger problem of telling this sort of nuanced story within the framework of a, like, Marvel movie. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Because, like, as incredible as the story is, this is still a superhero movie headed up by white people who want to make money. So, like, you have to make Eric a monstrous villain. Even though, like, I mean, for a lot of the movie, you're like, this this dude is right. <laughs> like, this, this, yeah. maybe not right. This, like, where he is coming from makes sense. And so it's sort of like the steps he is taking feels logical. And also, like, the fantasy of being like, oh, there's this, like, magical black kingdom where there was a colonization. And y'all haven't done anything about the like chattel slavery and like the slave trade that's fucked up y'all can we just think about this shit right now yes totally there but the film has to has to both make him monstrous and like he also can't survive to be like oh t'challa you know what we could really do is have we could just create uh wakanda bit like wakanda digital currency for all black people and then what are the, what are Europeans gonna do if they're like cut out from like what is arguably the like most wealthiest country in the world right now? That would really show, you know, like something yeah, like something yeah. like actual like out of the box revolutionary that that could actually be like even the stage between like Wakanda and like Western hegemony. <laughs> but instead, it's like there's there's still limitations because of this movie is still a superhero movie so he has to like murder his girlfriend and just be totally like we're killing everyone so he has to be stopped you know and it's just yeah uh <laughs> yeah and right I, and i think there's been 
like, I think mostly because of like what social media looks like now and like TikTok and stuff like that. Um, Thor Love and Thunder seemed to like spark this sort of online conversation about like the failures of superhero movies to make villains villainous because like spoilers for Thor Love and Thunder, the bad guy in that is someone who is like extremely devout and is dying like he and his daughter are dying in the desert and he's like our god will save us our god will save us and then his daughter dies and their god doesn't save them and then he fucking hunts down his god who's having like a super fun orgy in like an oasis and is like why didn't you save us and he's like who the fuck are you like why would i save you and dude's like i'm gonna kill all the gods and you're like yeah do it kill all the gods and then it's like oh no but that's a problem because thor is a god and we love thor so like don't do that and like in the process of stopping dude from killing all the gods literally thor kills a fuckload of gods including zeus so you're like you're not against killing gods like there's nothing here besides him like looking creepy and at the end they're like well, we have to make him monstrous. So like, he's actually going to sacrifice a bunch of kids. Isn't he bad now? Don't you want him to die now? And you're like, I guess. Like, yeah. not really, though. Like, I still, I think wanting to kill God is one of the sexiest things you can do. Azrael, bad guy. Still think it's fucking hot that he wants to kill God. Go, so did, Azrael. So did a crap ton of witches, but... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we can get to so, that. Like, yeah. Whatever we talk about... <laughs> And I feel like this movie fails even harder to successfully make Eric villainous. I'm like, yes. Does it suck when he shoots his girlfriend because he needs to kill Claw? Yes, that's terrible. Yes, he's killed a lot of people and like ceremonially marks his body because he's like proud of killing all those people. I know what it's like to be traumatized. It makes you do weird shit. He needs therapy. I still don't think he's a villain. Like, I think he's someone whose, like, politics are extremely good, who's been enacting that in a very bad way because the world has treated him like shit. Right. He's just someone who needs help. Yeah. He's not a villain. Yeah, like, he survived Americans own, America's own terrible brand of anti-blackness and racism to go into the military, one of the, like, very worst parts of anything america has done in its entire history which is our terrible grindstone crushing military that i mean if if he was like eight or ten and he's like in a shitty like group home or like has like a terrible foster family he's like you know what i'm gonna fucking go to wakanda and i'm gonna fucking be in charge you know Mm -hmm. like something that like a kid latches like something that he latched onto because of i'm sure a very terrible experience of growing up as an orphan in and I think I think that the scene when he takes the the heart shaped herb where he finds his dad's journal I think is also like a real thing that happened. So then he had access to the fact that a thing that his dad wanted was for Wakanda to come make things better for all of the black people in Oakland and like the world over. So he's literally like fulfilling his dad's dream through like a haze of unbearable trauma yeah right i don't know i don't prove to me that he's a villain you can't i (laughs) i it's not happening i i think i think it is 
I mean, again, I I don't really think that he is a villain. He is a bit of a hotep, but I don't think that he is a villain. I think that the movie has to make him more monstrous than like I think in reality he would be um, in order to justify superhero media, really. Because I feel like there's a lot of villains in these movies where it's like, right, like in Love and Thunder, you're like, but you're, you're not, you're not really a villain. <laughs> right. And like, we'll talk about when we talk about Batman and Robin too, where we have two villains who you're both like, wait, but you're right. <laughs> just... Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just sort of like, if this could somehow be a like independent movie, like I don't think that Kilmonger would be an anti-hero and not the like straight up villain. You know? I think he is. I was reading about the definition of an anti-hero and it's like a successful anti-hero. Half of the audience thinks that they're right and half of the audience thinks they're a villain. And I was like, I think they nailed it. <laughs> I think they actually like checked, checked that box perfectly. Yeah. And I think especially just because like, again, as a black person in America, there's sort of like overwhelming feeling of like, Y'all, y'all see this, right? And we're still just going to pretend like it's not happening. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to put any of our resources to it. It's very much like, I mean, the Black American experience of being like, okay, cool. So white white moderates are just going to pretend like nothing, everything is, everything is fine. Or it's just like what Black people deserve because we're all criminals or we don't work hard enough because of prosperity gospel. And it's like... Cool. I hate it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like Eric is just like the conclusion of that, really. Yeah. Um, and then taught by the US government to destabilize uh governments, which is also god awful. Yep. So yeah. But that but then it's just like, but he's just a sad kid on the inside. Like he just needs a lot of therapy. Yeah. Like he's def like Eric is Eric is a tragic character regardless. I think, you know, like it didn't have to be this way. Yeah. I, yes, yes. I want, like, I want his character to be in every Black Panther sequel. Like, it doesn't have to be a main character. I just want to, like, know that he's going through a healing journey, you know? Like, what what's he up to? How is he, how's his growth process going, you know? Uh, uh- all I can say is that you'll be pleasantly surprised in Wakanda forever. Great. <laughs> so. Okay, we should probably should probably move on. All right. Um, should we talk about, like, monarchies in general? Yes. Yes. Okay. Because I feel like this movie also does a really good job being like, what happens when you're, like, too attached to existing, like, established systems of power and what so Aquarius says like I'm loyal to that throne no matter who sits upon it and it's like that's bad (laughs) that's bad (laughs) I think that that's a really great summary of what's wrong with when we just like are like yep okay this is this is how our political system is structured and like no matter what happens we're just gonna like go along with that and and this is another this is another instance where it's like perfect for nakia to be like 
are you fucking kidding me? Like, this isn't not how you save the country. And I think part of it is that she's a war dog. Like, she's a spy. Like, what she's doing in her life is much different than what Okoye is doing, which is clearly, like, probably dedicating her entire life to be the general of the Dora Milaje. You know, the sort of, like, spear arm of the monarchy. You know? Like, I don't know if there's room for her to have thought otherwise if you're, right. like, dedicating so much time to be, like, that skilled of like that skill to be like the head of all of Adora Milaje. Um, but this is why it's really great to have Nakia. Like she has this like world experience to be like, okay, but this is not good either. Right. <laughs> yeah. Nakia has like seen the world. She's aware that uh, uh, unquestioning loyalty to the monarchy. is like not great. Not, not a great look, especially when something so obvious as like, this dude literally showed up two minutes ago and now it's king. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yeah. And, right, it seems like there's no... It's funny. <laughs> I was talking about this with Evan last night after we finished watching it. And, like, you know, I'm like, there's no, like, checks and balances and whatever. And then it just feels like this, like, crushing sense of hopelessness because, like, our system was... De- designed to have checks and balances and like stop exactly what is happening in the u.s from happening and i'm like not that it not that it works but like at least in theory there should have been like more steps to a kind of a tyrant coming in and you know being like i i make the rules now and like fuck what anyone else might think or want so yeah, it and it's it's interesting that out of all the things the movie this movie is addressing, we don't really ever address is it okay? Is it like should the should Wakanda have a monarchy? <laughs> yes, and here's what I thought is that we get this like mid-credit scene where T'Challa is addressing the UN and I would have loved with my entire being for him to have introduced himself as president T'Challa so that we could just, with that one line, be like, oh my gosh, they restructured their government. That's great. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but we don't get that, so. Yeah, and which I mean, and it's interesting because I feel like a lot of recent feeling fantasy, like 2000 and forward we get like fantasy media really sort of questioning the like hey you know what kind of sucks as a monarchy because it's really a crapshoot about what kind of person is first born or whatever whatever like whatever parameters you need to have like a whatever parameters are in place to have that person lead and it just that just a by birth order like that that person could be anyone (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and, like, they have this sort of system in place where someone can challenge for the throne when, like, the king is first being, which also, given how, like, gender-equitable Wakanda is, I actually, like, am extremely confused about, like, why T'Challa became king before his mom died. Even England doesn't have a new king until the queen dies, so that's confusing to me, but that's not the point. Um And, like, if you're going to have that, I feel like it should be, like, a battle of policy and not a physical (laughs) battle, you know? (laughs) Yes. 
<laughs> oh my god can i'm sorry can you imagine a scene where there's like like podiums like in the in the water of the waterfall and it's like it's like t'challa versus mbaku and then t'challa versus eric and eric is like i am prepared i would literally <laughs> the amount of money i would pay to watch that <laughs> Uh, especially if they still all had to have their shirts off. Is it, I mean, you know, they're just going to get wet anyways. They might as well all just be shirtless for that regard. Yeah. What's better than <laughs> sexy shirtless men debating foreign policy? Oh my god, I love it so much! <sighs> Great, I think we did that. Do you feel like we did that? We did do that. Wait, sorry, I have one, I have one quick thing. Yeah. I do like at the conclusion of this movie that T'Challa is like, we're going to introduce ourselves to the world and then we're going to have Wakanda outreach centers to like help black communities starting in Oakland because we really failed Eric there, like really dropped the ball. And it's, you know, when we go to present day Oakland, I mean, there's obviously in now a lot of gentrification in Oakland because San Francisco became a tech hub and got too expensive. So all the white people moved into Oakland. All the people were just like, what are you guys doing? We live here. Um, so, but still a good site for him to be like, we're going to, we're going to help people with Wakanda's, Wakanda's resources. So, yeah. And I'm like, that's a good step. Step number one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And like, it feels like not enough if you don't watch the credits i feel like like that could be like a really dissatisfying ending yeah and honestly i mean i fast forwarded today but like yesterday i was like i'll just sit here and like wait through until we get to the mid credit scene god they make you wait so long like way too long yeah I do say I would have loved to have seen the faces of the UN where they're like, psych, we're the richest country in the world. Yeah. I hope they like uncloaked <laughs> one of their fucking ships like above the UN <laughs> in the hall. Shuri just like rides it in a hover bike and is just like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Welcome to Editorials, where we rant about stuff. Um, So I saw this movie in the theater, which I've stated before is like a big deal for me because they give me migraines and um, I have to like really, really want to see something in the theater. Uh, And I had, I feel like just seen Wonder Woman. I think I waited like really long until it was like almost leaving the theater before I saw Wonder Woman in the theater. So it was like pretty close. And as anyone who's listened to our Birds of Prey episode knows, (laughs) I was very unimpressed with Wonder Woman. And like I went, (laughs) I am not on Facebook. I had to log into Facebook to go find this, but I like went and found my my Facebook post from after I saw Black Panther, which was just feminism scoreboard, Wonder Woman 3, Black Panther 5,368. And I think similar to the way I felt about Birds of Prey, I just am like, why are these movies not being talked about? Like, why is the the conversation about this movie, I feel like didn't 
make it to like feminist feminism internet the way that it needed to like almost the entire main cast is women yeah and funny story that increases like the amount of dudes drop and in wakanda forever um because of i mean our arrest and power chadwick boseman um but the i mean it's it's just badass ladies in Wakanda Forever. And I think and I think similarly, I don't know if it's really reached like feminist internet, which I think part of it is because feminist internet is very white feminist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where it's like, I'm sure someone was like, this movie barely passes the Brechtel test, which is correct. But I'm like, you don't see action movies with black ladies in it. Like you don't see the level of like complicated, complex ladies and more importantly like a main dude being like taking the ladies in his life seriously and the movie taking his relationship with women in his life just as serious you know like it's not like lol that dude's pussy whipped it's like no he respects his mother and sister and nakia and like takes what you know their thoughts and what they say just as seriously as his boy you know right and even just seeing a movie where, like, black women, besides R.I.P. Eric's girlfriend, are, like, not being disrespected, you know? I don't know. Yeah. It's, like, this movie's just, like, a breath of fresh air, and I feel like white feminists did not treat it that way. Yeah, you know? I I completely agree, which I guess this is maybe belonged to the politics section, but, yeah, I I just... You know, it's been five five years, I guess, and I still find myself like feeling really baffled by the just yeah, the like lack of, I think, recognition that it I mean, not baffled isn't the right word because like you're completely correct that it's like racism. There's an answer, but like bothered, I guess, is maybe the correct word. Cause it yeah, it just is like you you all spent so much time talking about this movie that has literally one woman in it. And then like here here comes this movie that is just like full of incredible, like just such badass women just fucking wall to wall. And you're like, yeah, cool. Like, whatever. Literally wall to wall. Like literally uh battalion of badass black lady soldiers who kick everyone's fucking ass like just and like not even to mention the sort of like the really like different takes on like masculinity that we see in this movie you know like i feel like really only eric is sort of the sort of like toxic masculinity ish things going on and i feel like even he isn't like disrespectful to women just because they're women yeah like he kills his girlfriend but i think he just as easily would have killed literally anyone oh no he's like he's very ruthless he yeah yeah like he's like you're in the way of me killing this guy that i have to kill i have to kill you just whatever right that's fine yeah (laughs) not i'm not saying it's fine that was his internal dialogue (laughs) right yeah and so if you want to see a movie that's not like like you're it's chock full of like hot rip dudes but like it's not just like toxic masculinity on display it's very like intricate mat like male characters you know yeah the other thing that i really love is that when mbaku comes to like challenge for the throne i feel like my breath like caught when he's like i've watched as you're like 
technology has been overseen by a, and then you're like, and he's like, child. And, you know, like, because I feel like in that moment, you're like, oh, he's going to be like a little girl or something like that. But he doesn't. He just says child. Like, his problem is that she's 16 and not that she's a 16 year old girl. And like, that's fucking beautiful. God damn it. And. Like, we see briefly there's a there's a flash during the like last end scene when the Jabari come to like take on like the border tribe that there is like a lady warrior in there just smashing the shot at everyone too and you're like fuck yeah yes <laughs> you know and it's like we're not gonna talk about the gender equality of Wakanda because clearly it's there um, right and like I feel like it's not a stretch to be like I bet they had gay marriage before any of y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a pre-colonized African country, there's probably eight different genders. You, can, yeah. I mean, obviously there are more than eight different genders. But what I'm saying is that, like, what kind of no, isn't going to be yeah. like? There's only two genders. They're going to be like, yeah, right. Eight different named and recognized genders. Right, which is yes, very typical of pre-colonized African countries is to have because two genders is just European, like Catholic colonialism justifying itself yeah you know so yeah eight different genders that, that you could get on your id marry you could marry a- any of them like wakanda is cool as fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's the title of the episode <laughs> fuck any other fantasy place you could be i want to be in wakanda like let just sh- ship me there ship me there right now i will go uh anyway yes more feminists should talk about this movie (sighs) all right what is your first editorial um that first shot of the like main city in wakanda that we see when they fly over is it's so great and it's so and it's like so obvious that they also were pulling from like modern african like uh architectural styles which people don't know there are cities in african countries because duh and they have their own styles and they even have african modernism and if you've listened to any of our podcasts you should know that i love mid-century modern um which we even get a little bit when we, when we go to the jabari like Umbaku's throne room is very like MCM in a way that is <laughs> deeply pleasing to me. Oh, <laughs> uh, and I just like that. This is just what I want from Afrofuturism is to be like, you know, not just African American, you know, culture and history into your future themes, but also like Pan African awesomeness. Yeah, I don't know. I just think that like. Oh my god, you could really you could really study just like the aesthetics of this movie and learn so much about things that we don't learn in American schools because American schools suck. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just yeah. ugh, I love so many things about like there's like honestly not a lot of things that could be like th- I don't want this about the movie, you know? Like there's very few. Yeah. So I just everything about this movie is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> this is such a tiny rant quote-unquote rant when um token white dude wakes up in sherry's lab like he wakes up in this like 
all white, like futuristic space. His like spinal injury has been healed. He like wanders out. There's this like teenager sitting there who knows everything about him. And his question is, is this Wakanda and not am I dead? And I was like, (laughs) that's so silly. He should think he's dead. I would think I was dead. Like, that's the most reasonable conclusion to come to. It really, really is. (laughs) You are so correct. Uh, So, um, okay, so my last thing maybe also could have been the politics, but Eric is is a tragic character. When he drinks the heart-shaped herb and they like bury him and he goes to the ancestral plane and he's just back in his like apartment in Oakland with his dad and then like for the first half of his like spiritual journey he's just like a little kid is like you guys this is literally like textbook childhood trauma where it's like he is this like badass rip mercenary but it's like inside of that is like a sad kid yeah he's like just Who's been like, who misses his dad and has like missed his dad for like however old he's supposed to be in this, you know? And I'm just like, oh my God, someone give him a hug. I mean, he wouldn't probably give you a hug, but someone should, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I just love that. I just love that bit. It's just, it's, it's like, I don't know, three minutes, but it's like, wow, this is like, I now just understand Eric from a, like on a totally different level is like seeing like compared to like T'Challa's, you know, experience in the ancestral plane. What Eric experiences, you're just like, oh, fuck. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's devastating. Yeah. So. Seems to do inner child work. (laughs) I know. Like, yeah, like seriously, it's like, Eric, if you would really could reach out to that like scared kid. And like yeah. parent him, like you wanted to be, maybe you wouldn't have tried to overthrow God. Yeah, I, I have this like, I I don't know fanfic in whatever. I like to imagine a world in which they pretend that they're giving him the heart shaped herb, but they actually just give him ayahuasca, and then like sixteen <laughs> hours later, he's a completely different person. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> T'Challa is healed. He comes back. He's like, they're like, what happened to Killmonger? He's just like tripping in this like sand hole. I think we're going to leave him for a little while and see, you know, if he needs the healers when he comes out. <laughs> yeah. No, I think you're, you can only do ayahuasca if you have like a shaman with you otherwise i think it goes really badly from everything i've ever heard about it but like i know he killed he killed the shaman but like i'm sure he had like i mean there were like eight other eight other people who are presumably trained to do stuff right so yeah, yeah. they could help him through they could have time. they could have guided him through it and... <laughs> that would be so funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez yeah, wow, but the drugs in Wakanda are really good. Mm-hmm. And they're all legal and easily available for you to do safely because mm-hmm. that is what a place like Wakanda would do because that is the correct way to handle uh, drugs. Yep. Um. Oh my gosh. Okay, I had a whole thing about how much I love Shuri, but like we've been recording for so long that I probably shouldn't do it. 
we have no. to acknowledge the line, don't scare me like that, colonizer. <laughs> no, listen, we'll, we can cut health and science short. I want you to get into your love of Shuri. It's okay, because I feel like I've it's been expressed several times. I okay. I really, like, she's so funny. I love every joke that she makes. What are those? Sorry. That's <laughs> <Still, like>, oh. <laughs> <It's> so good. <laughs> so good. The one thing that I really like about the inclusion of token white dude is that he serves the purpose of being an outsider who's not eric to like witnessing wakanda and he's so fucking geeked out about everything that she's invented and so she gets like someone who's seeing it all with new eyes to just like show off to and i think that that's really beautiful like i love that she has that and he's sort of like an audience proxy too to be like but what's that but what's that because everyone else in the movie already knows what all that stuff is yeah when she's like it's just like flying a hover bike she's like you wait you guys have hover bikes (laughs) and i'm like wait y'all have hover bikes that's fucking cool (laughs) yeah electric car your mag trains are so efficient like (laughs) tell me every just tell me everything and she's like i am gonna tell you everything (laughs) it's great yeah, it's like, tell us about your public transit system, Sherry. I'm sure it's incredible. Yeah. And like zero emission. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the personal section where we talk about sexy stuff. You start. Once again, this is a Marlo movie, so there is not actual sexy bits. Um, but everyone's real hot, so we're going to start with that. Um, first off, in a movie full of attractive dudes, it's a re- it was a really hard call for me, but Winston Duke, a.k.a. M'Baku, wins. I'm sorry, he looks like he could crush melons with his thighs without breaking a sweat, and I just... that That's it. That's all I have. To, like, that's all that needs to be said. Um, yeah. Unsurprisingly, we have the same taste. Um, It is out of control. Like, listeners, the way, like, the way that he sits on his throne. Like, imagine the embodiment of what man spreading means, but then make it the sexiest thing you have ever seen. He is taking up so much space with his body, and it just makes me want to climb into his lap. Right? Like, it's like, it is out of control how hot that man is. Right. And then he can feed you a delicious, well, what I think is pescatarian, if they're fishermen, meal. (laughs) I love that. It made me think that he was lying about being vegetarians, though. Because he, like, immediately is like, we're vegetarians. And he's like, our fishermen found him. And I was like, oh, my God. I... I I love the idea that that was just, like, a joke that he made because it was funny and in no way rooted in fact. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm just like, oh, they're, they're pescatarians, which... They I could mean, be. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, he, 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 it's, I mean, it's hard to win in a movie with, I mean, very hot dudes, but he wins hands down. Yes, obviously, Michael B. Jordan is like an extremely close second. Like a hair close second. 
and he gets to, and he like is shirtless for a, for a good number of scenes, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, <laughs> apparently, it took uh, hours to put on those like silicone makeup of like his scarification, and I guess to remove it, he had to just like sit in a sauna for two hours. And I'm like, I saw great. that. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, uh, yeah, it's wild. So, do you know what? like the golden ratio is for like the human face right they're listeners it's like basically the setup of the human face that like people find most attractive that's the best way i know to describe it and you can find like tiktoks and youtube videos of people like taking photos of famous people and then sort of like manipulating using like procreate or whatever manipulating their faces to like fit within the like mock-up of the golden ratio right um very rarely there are people where they just lay the thing on top of the photo and there's nothing to do michael b jordan is one of those people i would not surprise right it's like the, the photo that i saw them do it with he was raising his eyebrow in the photo so they unraised his eyebrow that was the only thing that they had to do oh my god <laughs> just like according to science his face is perfect how many people can you say that about i feel like lupita nyong'a uh nakia who we've i've already talked about how she is i mean flawless essentially um but like really all the ladies are just like there there can't be a ranking because i mean you have like angela bassett looking flawless like i mean you have uh okoye like just in like she like she's already a babe incredible you know yeah like like sure he's a cutie but that's like a different i think scale right but like everyone looks great yes it's yeah it's like just wall-to-wall hot people i think is what we said when we were talking about this pre-recording yeah i mean we're talking about the beautiful aesthetics we're also talking about the people yeah yeah, and then like nothing sexy happens. There is there is one kiss between Nakia and T'Challa, which I guess is them coming back because their ex is at the beginning of the movie, and maybe they're coming back together. But like, she doesn't really want to be queen, so you're kind of like, where's that going to go? But that's okay because happy ending. Yeah, and it seems like they're gonna maybe do the monarchy a little differently because they're back together, but she's still gonna like be splitting her time between. Wakanda in California, so. Yeah. Welcome to the health and science section where we talk about magic and science and also history and research and stuff. Yeah, this is going to be brief this time because we are already been recording for a long time. We sure have. So I just want to say that Shuri, when when token white dude wakes up and is like, you can't just magically heal a bullet wound overnight. And she's like, it's not magic, it's technology. And I wrote, okay, doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Like, let's be real. It's magic. And also the Komoyo beads specifically are obviously sonic screwdrivers. They are communication devices. They heal bullet wounds. They make cars and airplanes be operable by someone a literal world away they 
point and think. Like, you can literally do anything with a Kamoyo bead, so it's magic. You know, the... I believe the actress who plays Shuri is English, so she could just be the... She could be in Doctor Who, just saying, y'all. Ooh, I would love to see that. I would watch the shit out of that. She might be a little famous for <laughs> Doctor Who money <laughs> currently. But. I mean, or because she made all this Marvel money, she can do whatever the fuck she wants to. That's true. She could be like uh, Elijah Wood and Daniel Radcliffe and just do weird shit because it's like got that franchise, that franchise paycheck. Yeah, that's true. Um, I have a couple of fun facts about the war rhinos to close us out okay all right so obviously cgi rhinos because rhinos are endangered what they used in scenes where they needed an actual animal was clydesdale horses because apparently running they have a a very similar gait as a rhino. oh my god (laughs) i know I know, I love it. And uh, apparently, the 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 very opening scene where we see, oh my god, what is his name? Why can't I ever Wakabi. think? Yes, when uh, Wakabi is showing T'Challa his war rhino, and he like feeds the rhino an apple. Apparently, in one of the takes, like it's actually Daniel Kaluuya feeding an apple to the <laughs> Clydesdale, and they're like, <laughs> "We'll just keep it in and just CGI a rhino over that." Cute. And I'm like. That's so fucking cute. I love that. Yeah, that's all I have. Cool. All right. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. Next time, we're going to be talking about Glass Onion because I'm about to lose access to Netflix thanks to their password sharing changes. So we'll be back with Wakanda Forever after that one. Check the show notes for all the things. And until next time. Death was better than bondage.